Um, that's all. Yeah, their their hooves do grip. They're not like a elk or a deer hoof. It's mostly hard and kind of would be slip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can grip a bit better on cliffy habitat and climb just amazingly steep cliffs and walk down ledges that you don't think are wide enough for them to walk and somehow turn around sometimes. Yeah, they do amazing things, but they, they do die from falls. Not un, it's not an uncommon thing because it's steep and sometimes they make a mistake <laughs> or <laughs> maybe somebody got too aggressive and they, and they fell or whatnot. Still learning how to walk across the cliffs. And, yes. <laughs> well, and you see videos of even the kids jumping pretty far and landing on this little narrow piece of rock. And you're just like, how did this little tiny mountain goat do that? Um, it's yeah, pretty it is impressive. Amazing. It is. It's fun to watch them for sure. Yeah. They have adapted well to their very gnarly habitat. Hey everyone, this is Britta Meyerly and you're listening to Your Wild Place, a production of Friends of Scotchroom Peaks Wilderness. During this episode, you'll get to learn all about our favorite ungulate, mountain goats. We'll get to hear about how they survive in that high alpine habitat and what some of the threats to their survival are. So hope you enjoy this episode all about the beast the color of winter. Laura Wolf. I'm a regional wildlife biologist with Idaho Department of Fish and Game. Uh, I've worked for Idaho Fish and Game for 13 years, 10 of which have been up here in the panhandle of Idaho. Um, I started working with mountain goats soon into my career with the department um, in the salmon region where we translocated mountain goats from Utah into native range. Um, And that sparked my interest in mountain goat biology and uh, behavior and um, since I've been in the panhandle, I've uh, done mountain goat surveys via helicopter, and I just enjoy seeing the big white beasts whenever I can. The Scotchman herd um, on the border with Montana is, is a pretty neat herd. It's native to Idaho. Um, many people see uh, the goats on the Idaho side when they hike the Scotchman Trail, but the majority of those goats actually reside in Montana. So. Montana does fairly regular aerial surveys, and they estimate the entire uh, cabinet population to be somewhere in the range of 130 to 160 goats. Um, We, on the Idaho side, have surveyed uh, just twice in the last 20 years. Um, Most recently was this winter, so February of 2020. Uh, We counted 11 goats on the Idaho side in the the cabinets, mostly in the Scotchman Peak area, um, although not as concentrated as they are in the summertime where they're probably mostly right on the right on the top right on scotchman um in the past survey i believe we counted 16 goats in that same area so um it was striking when we were flying the aerial survey in the helicopter the uh change in mountain goat habitat as we went from idaho into montana it just went from yeah patchy rocky cliffs here and there some high rocky knobs where they spend time in the summer but not in the winter where the snow is a little too deep and you cross the border into montana and it's just wall-to-wall mountain goat habitat so you can see why the majority of the herd resides in montana Um, montana divides their herds into the west cabinets and the east cabinets so we're part of the west cabinets 
And um, the West Cabinets probably have about 50, maybe 60 goats total. Um, unfortunately, they appear to be declining. So looking at surveys over the last 20 years, they're showing a, like about a 5% decline, a significant decline in particularly the West Cabinet herd, um, mostly with lower kid recruitment, probably um, causing some of the decline. Um, many native goat herds in the West, in Montana, Idaho, um, are showing declines compared to some of the introduced herds, which seem to be increasing um, and doing quite well. And there's a lot of guesses as to why this might be happening, but there's not really anything conclusively known as to why they're declining, um, whether it be habitat related, um, vegetation, whether it be related to climate change and warming, summer temperatures, um, potentially drying out the vegetation that they eat in the summertime. Um, whether it be increased predation from mountain lions, uh, wolves, uh, wolverine. So we don't know exactly why, but we are seeing that, and it's not super uncommon uh, across the West. So wolverines, I did not realize that wolverines were a predator. Do they, they might take grown-ups, but the kids? No, okay. yeah. So there's quite a few things that can prey upon kid, mountain goat kids. Um, they're Unlike a lot of ungulate-hooved animal species that grow to be close to adult size within the year, mountain goats are very slow-growing. So kids that are a year old are still about a third the size of an adult. They're very small, um, which makes a difference in their survival because they're so much smaller, especially if you have hard winters or whatever the case may be. It's harder to, to go through deep snow following the adults when you're that small. Um, so they have a hard time. Um, there's Golden eagles can pick off kids from cliffs as well. Um, I don't think that they're super common. I, mountain lions are probably the most, one of the mo more common predators of uh, mountain goats because they too like to live in rocky cliffy habitats as a stealth predator. Um, but yeah, I don't know that Idaho, have, we don't have a lot of wolverines, so we probably don't have a lot of predation of wolverines on mountain goats. We know we have some, but we yes. don't. <laughs> Um, so what does the, what does a healthy herd look like as far as makeup? So mountain goat herds are not typically very large. Um, they can range in size from, oh, they can be very small, let's say 20 animals to maybe three or three to 500 animals, depending on how much habitat is available to them. Um, but I think what's most important is what we see in kid recruitment. So how many kids are surviving the year and making it into a, at least a sub-adult category? Um, we consider it to be at least uh, average recruitment if we see 15 kids per every 100 adults. So that means that 15 um, make it through that whole year and are uh, still in the herd that following June. Um, Males and females are very hard to tell apart. Uh, when we do surveys, whether it be ground surveys or aerial surveys, um, generally we just record adults. We might record sub-adult if we can tell, but a lot of times it's just adults versus kids. Um, males and females have slight differences in their horn shape and distance between the bases, um, but again, very hard to tell uh, via helicopter or even um, via spotting scope. That makes sense. Uh, so if the um, recruitment 
is considered healthy for the mountain goat kids if there's 15 kids that survive a year per 100 um, like adults then how many are born every year what's the um, I don't know how to phrase that without it sounding what's the what's the mortality rate I guess and is it on par with other ungulates so survival for mountain goat kids on average um, has been documented at like 60 to 70 percent so that's actually pretty good um, you can see much lower survival rates in deer and elf populations especially during hard winters um, hard winters are actually hard on mountain goats too even though they pick the top of the mountains um, they actually do much better when you have a mild winter where you don't have a lot of snow and enables them to move around a little bit better um, so and that can, and the other thing about um, mountain goat populations in terms of being healthy is um, a larger population is going to have a better chance against stochastic events. So random chance things where some, uh, an avalanche comes and takes out some, or they fall randomly because they do sometimes fall, even though they're quite sure fitted on the cliffs. Um, so if you have a population of 50, um, it can quickly dwindle if you have a few of those, those random events versus a population of 200 is going to be much more stable, even if the kid recruitment or the kid survival is not quite as good. That makes sense. So overall, the entire cabinet's population is relatively healthy size, although declining. Um, but the part that hangs out in Idaho is pretty small. It is small, but it's not its own population because it's, and they're probably moving back and forth between Idaho and Montana, particularly in the summer when they move a bit more. So we might have more um, goats in the summertime when the habitat opens up. Um, here in Idaho, those tops of those ridges are so thick with snow that they can't move around. Whereas in the summertime, once it melts off, that's their preferred place to be is along those rocky ridges. So there's not as much rocky habitat for them in Idaho, uh, lower down. So winter ha wintering habitat. So do they just move down slope then, generally in Montana, to rocky slopes that just aren't quite so snow-covered in the winter? Right, so they're just not right on the ridges. And it's interesting because mountain goats in different parts of the state do different things. So there are some places, like in the Salmon region, um, the Sawtooth Mountains, the White Clouds, and those goats are on the top of the mountains in the wintertime. Um, there's drier snow, and I think the wind blows the snow right off, so they're able to use that habitat. But we have much wetter snow that builds up into, you know, 10, 15 foot cornices, and so they can't use that, that rocky habitat because it's buried in snow. That makes sense. I didn't know that. <laughs> um, for mountain goats, what sort of typical behavior and what's atypical behavior? Mountain goats are kind of interesting in terms of their behavior uh, compared to a lot of other animals. They have kind of unique uh, behavior amongst themselves. So um, they seem fairly calm, but they have a definite body language um, that they, only they themselves know pretty well. So they tend to like to have their space. Um, they're arranged in a hierarchy from usually the older dominant nanny, the female in the herd, um, down to some of the subadult males that might still be with the nanny kid groups down to the kids. And uh, they have what I call a personal bubble that extends out from their head six or eight feet. Uh, and they tend not to like to have other goats in their bubble. And so 
if they encounter another goat along a cliff line or a path that they want to go, if they are the dominant goat, they will do something to encourage the subordinate goat to move along. So they might just cock their head and look at it. They might shake their horns to show how tough they are. Uh, they might uh, stamp the ground. They're going to do something to tell that goat to move off. Mountain goats tend not to be um, directly violent with each other. They don't tend to use their horns um, with each other unless it gets pretty serious. So a lot of their communication is from a distance, but they have body language that they're telling others to, to move along. Uh, this is body language that we humans tend not to understand. So when mountain goats approach um, a person, the person may not know that they want their bubble or, and maybe this goat wants to be in their bubble, but, but the, as people, we, we may not understand what the goat is trying to tell us um, if we're too close to them. So um, one of my favorite books about mountain goats is A Beast, the Color of Winter, written by Douglas Chadwick. And he describes watching mountain goats um, all bedded um, in a meadow when uh, the dominant nanny decides to get up from her bed and turn. Her head is now within six feet of another mountain goat. And because that's now too close, she shakes her head at that goat and makes it move off to another bed. And so that second most dominant goat then goes to the, the subordinate goat and kicks that goat out of its bedside and on and on down the chain. So um, it's interesting the, the definite hierarchy within a nanny uh, kid group. It's like a domino effect. I know. Um, so we talked about behavior and that they tend to have pretty big personal bubbles, which I appreciate. I do too. Um, with the males, do they tend to get more physically aggressive during rut like other ungulates? That's a great question. Um, male mountain goats, billies, tend to be solitary. Um, you might see them in small groups of a few billies, especially uh, younger sub-adult billies might be in a group together. They don't tend to use their horns very often. Um, they might sometimes uh, use, they do actually have a fairly tough rump pad to be able to buffer any um, sharp jabs from those horns as they're running away. Um, but they do not use them like a bighorn sheep might or uh, an elk where they're actually tussling on a regular basis or um, running into one another. These horns are not for long fights. They're more for quick jabs like get out of here. They use their horns when trying to get away from predators or dissuade predators, like mountain lions? I would imagine so. They'll probably use their horn. They're very sharp and can um, yeah, puncture and uh, cut very easily. We have a set in our, um, in our office that we use for like outdoor education with kids, and they are pokey. Right. Uh, and we had a biologist, a retired biologist from Montana, tell us about how you can count it's almost like tree rings you can count the rings and their horns and she was showing us how to count them and she was literally the only person in the room that actually could see the delineation between the rings it was really interesting like all the rest of us were lost yep like bighorn sheep mountain goats uh, can be aged by their horns so they will get distinct rings kind of like a tree as you mentioned um, in the winter time where you have that change in growth um, change in nutrition, um, but they get the majority of their horn length in the first three years of their life. So it's hard to count 
How old do the goats typically live in the wild? Um, mountain goats typically live uh, nine to 12 years, roughly. Um, and of course, that can be shortened if there's some event um, that ends their life early. Um, they tend to have pretty good survival once they get to be about three years old and they're fully grown, but it takes a while for them to get their adult size. Do any other ungulates grow as slowly as mountain goats? No, mountain goats have a very slow growth. So the, the nannies typically don't breed until they're four or five years old. So this is another reason why um, recruitment is so important because it takes a quite a long time for that nanny to be old enough to have their first young um, versus deer and elk, which can breed sometimes as early as six months, but usually at a year and a half or two and a half. So um, you can increase or increase your population uh, quite a bit easier if you're breeding at a younger age compared to mountain goats. Nothing like adding a little bit more difficulty to an alpine habitat. Right. <laughs> Might be one reason why they grow so slow is they don't have a long growing season. So the foods they're eating are not abun super abundant necessarily. They eat a very wide range of food items um, ranging from grasses, flowers, lichens, conifer trees. Um, it really, it's a whole, runs the gamut of what's available to them. Um, but they have a pretty short window where you get that really nutritious growth because they're living where it's snowing much of the year. So a lot of the time they're actually, they're, they have food to eat, but it's not as nutritious as um, other places um, in the habitat surrounding them. So during the winter, do they basically just eat the conifers? I mean, there's not much else poking Typically, out No, yeah, conifers, and they might eat shrubs, uh, branches that are poking out, um, and then lichens that are, you know, tree lichens that are hanging from the trees. Rough diet during the winter. Yes. Mm -hmm. Very full of fiber. <laughs> Mountain goats probably aren't losing habitat like other animals in terms of building roads or houses or farms, um, but they might lose it in terms of how they behave. So mountain goats are very sensitive to motorized vehicles, helicopters, snow machines, ATVs, trucks, that sort of thing. So they will typically move away when they hear those noises or if they see those vehicles. Um, and they might move to areas that are, are not as good habitat for them. So they, one, are spending time moving instead of eating. And then two, um, they are not able to um, get as highly nutritious uh, foods because they're not in the places they want to be. So that's one thing that can uh, kind of limit their habitat in terms of where they're choosing to be. Climate change may be changing also um, what habitat is available to them. Um, they need fairly cool temperatures and so they will move up to find snow patches um, there's a study that just came out of Glacier that was looking at mountain goats' use of snow patches. And when they were not able to find snow patches to lay on to cool off in the summer, hot summer temperatures, they had much higher respiration rates, meaning that they were burning more calories um, than they would normally. So if we have hotter, drier summers where snow patches are melting off quicker, um, that's going to probably add some stress to mountain goat uh, lives. Um, the other thing that can happen is that the, ha the food that they're eating, the plants that they're eating, will dry up sooner, so they're not really available to eat into September, October, when typically they would be. Um, 
milder winters actually is a benefit to them. So if we have less snow in the winter, that makes their survival higher so that you have a little bit of a trade-off there. Take the good with the bad. What else hurts, um, kind of hurts the health of mountain goats? We talked about motorized wreck can be hard on them because it pushes them out of the habitat they want to be in. Um, how else do humans being in their habitat affect them? So yeah, on the kind of on the flip side of recreation pushing them away, you can also have situations where high traffic areas, very popular hiking trails like Scotchman Peak um, or backpacking routes, there's some in the Cascades, um, where a lot of people are going into those areas um, and depositing salt via their urine, um, it can become very popular for mountain goats because they really love salt. They will seek out natural salt licks, but if they can get free salt from people that are depositing it, they will definitely seek those areas out. Um, in many of these areas, um, they've come in to lick salt off the ground um, and they've become habituated, meaning they've become used to being around people in a way um, that is not acting like a wild animal anymore. And they're doing things, their behavior is not what, like a wild mountain goat would behave. So they're approaching humans much closer than they normally would. Um, we know they've been licking salt off of people's legs, um, arms, um, and to make this worse, I'm sure people have been feeding them as well. So they get not only the salt uh, reward, but they're also getting a food reward uh, when they encounter people. So they're more apt to seek out people to hang out with them. Um, and generally they're not aggressive. Like I said, they tend to just use their body language, but when they decide that, that you are just too close, yeah, I got my salt. I want you to be further away from me. They can be violent and they have been aggressive to hikers. So there have been incidences with mountain goats who have gotten too aggressive, whether it be that they wanted more salt and the person was done providing their uh, salty leg or um, they were ready for the person to be outside their personal bubble. But um, people have been bit. Uh, there was an incident uh, in 2015 on Scotchman Peaks Trail. And before that, in 2010, a hiker was actually killed um, by a mountain goat. Uh, in Olympic National Park. So while generally they are not aggressive, they can, they can be dangerous and it's important to keep your distance and not provide any of those food or salt rewards if you can help it. So it's not that they're tame. They're still wild animals. They just are choosing to um, suppress some of their natural behavior in an effort That's to get the reward, which is salt. That is correct. Mm -hmm. What would happen if someone was seriously injured due to this continued habituation as far as Idaho fishing game and the herd that's on Scotchman Peak specifically? It's possible one of the, the tools that we have in the toolbox would be to euthanize uh, a mountain goat if it were to have seriously injured or killed somebody so that it would not um, cause a problem somewhere else. I know people would rather see us move a goat to a place where it could live its life and not cause problems. But we don't have anywhere in Idaho where people are not interacting with goats at all. We have people hiking and recreating and camping pretty much everywhere. Mountain goat habitat is, is a very popular place to be. So it probably would not be a safe option for us to, to move goats that have um, hurt somebody. 
So we talked a little bit about the problems with humans and goats interacting and how um, the goats will suppress their natural um, tendencies uh, in order to get salt. Um, As people, what can we do to help the goats stay wild and therefore groups like Idaho Fish and Game to be able to let the herd manage itself instead of having to come in and potentially euthanize due to um, continued negative interactions? Um, making sh- One way that we can try to keep goats wild um, and deal with goats that may become habituated is to keep our distance. So that means that not just keep your distance from the goat, but if the goat is coming towards you, you move away from the goat. So you're still keeping a distance. Even if the goat wants to come closer to you, you try to keep that distance. Uh, one great rule of thumb I remember seeing on a sign, which you're not going to see this because I'm not in a video. <laughs> um, one great way uh, t- to figure out if you're too close is to hold your arm out with your thumb up. And if you can cover the goat with your thumb, then you're a good distance. But if you see white fluff around your thumb, then the goat is too close. I'm totally going to use that. That is a really good one. Yeah. I like that Uh, because it's easy. Anyone can do that. You just stick your thumb out and like, okay, it's too close. If it's too close, if a goat is coming too close to you and um, you want it to move, try to get it to move away without you having to back off the cliff, um, I recommend throwing rocks um, at it, yelling at it, trying to make yourself look aggressive so that they do not continue to come closer to you. We talked about kind of human and mountain goat interaction, bad. Here's how to keep away from them and keep them away from you. Are there other animals in Idaho specifically or in general that there tend to be issues like this um, with human interaction with them to the detriment of the people or the animal, maybe both? There certainly can be habituation issues with just about any wild animal, particularly that's fed. So you know we have issues with bears. So bears that get used to getting into trash are then trained that this is food, this is a reward, I'm going to come back to bird feeders or dog food left on the porch or whatnot. And so that can become dangerous to people or pets. Um, but you can have it with ground squirrels that get fed at a park and might bite and can carry the bubonic plague. You could have it with, um, you could have it with raccoons, obviously, in town or deer. I mean, town deer are habituated. They're, the, the amount that they are an issue depends on who you talk to. Some people like to see the deer in their yard and some people don't want the deer to eat their plants. But there is a habituation issue when you have deer that live in, in a town or a city. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's not uncommon with a lot of species and anything that's along a trail. So anywhere in the United States where you have a popular hiking trail, a lot of national parks have habituation issues because you have so many people that drop food, that feed animals, um, that sort of thing that can cause issues. Moral of the story, pick up after yourself and also um, don't get too close to the animals. Mm-hmm. Yes, and as a wildlife biologist, when I hiked Scotchman, um, I actually was very nervous because the goats came right up and I knew 
what mountain goats were supposed to do and how they had their personal bubble. And I was like, why are these goats getting into my personal bubble? Like, what are they doing? And yeah, I, I went way off trail trying to avoid a goat that kept following me. And um, it, yeah, it made me, it made me nervous. Um, they were not aggressive towards me, but they were closer than I wanted them to be. Thanks for listening to Your Wild Place, presented by Friends of Scotchman Peaks Wilderness. For more information about the Friends, visit our website, scotchmanpeaks.org. This episode featured Laura Wolf, Regional Wildlife Biologist for Idaho Department of Fish and Game. It was edited by Ray Brown. Theme music was by Ben Olson and Katie Archer. Subscribe to Your Wild Place wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And we would love for you to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts.